Um, let me add a little bit to that real quick. Um, I got a chance to be out there with them, and man, it's just, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, one of the things that I noticed, though, and I talked about this last week, we talk about the June swoon, and when it comes to giving, and our giving has been phenomenal, so I said this last week, I'm not standing up here in a position of weakness, but in a position of strength when it comes to how the church is growing, and the giving, and all that kind of thing, but June and July usually come around and wipe out any reserves that you've made for the rest, for the first part of the year, and I decided last week that can't happen, okay, so, and this is another reason why it can't happen. There's one of the one of the buildings that they that these women work out of okay their main house where these women stay the roof has a big tarp over it and i'm sitting there thinking you know because they don't have the resources to put on a new roof and i know one of our students said this morning that her dad said that he would get up there and help us put the roof on and but it's going to cost some materials and i think june should just we should just we should give so much money in june that we can go up to safe harbor and say hey we're going to buy the materials and we're going to have people come up and put the roof on your your place um, you know, Annie's story about showing this woman with women what love truly is and having them come and say, we feel loved. That is a miracle. OK, understand that. That's miraculous that counselors take years to get these women to understand. And our students can go up there and show be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And the women come to their counselors and say, we feel loved. That's powerful. We need to back up our students as adults, okay? They went out there and they killed it this week. And now on top of that, they're going to go back out there and go back up to Safe Harbor. They're going to go back and finish off the, the mobile home that we're building that a family in our church is going to receive. They're going to help fix it. They're going to help build it. But they're going to receive this home. He's an amazing family that have come out of a really tough background, and I'm going to introduce you to them in the next couple of weeks, but they are going to receive that home. We need to have so much resources come in that we can give those resources to the students and let them go and impact these people's lives. And if you want to join them, let Andy know and Pastor Andy know, and he'll kind of hook you up and you can join us up there helping out with those those uh, those families and the, the people who are being trafficked. But honestly, guys, honestly, our students are out there. They're on the front lines. They're doing this. They're excited. They're motivated. We got to keep them motivated by getting behind them, not only with our hands on our feet, but with our pockets, okay? This is where the resources go. We are going to do these projects. We're going to finish these projects. And the more money we have, the faster we can finish them and move on to something else that'll be impactful. These, this ministry is buying up houses. There is not enough beds for the women who are being rescued out of trafficking. There's not enough beds. That's ridiculous, Okay, and it's the church's responsibility, not the government's responsibility to fix this problem. So we want to be a part of the solution. So I'm challenging you in the best way I can. We don't pass the plate around. So you're not going to hear me say this. And the plate comes around and I pray a song in the background. Okay, the boxes are here. You can go online. You can give here. You can give outside. There's a giving station outside. Go online. Talk to your husband. Talk to your wife and say, let's give a larger donation this summer to keep all this stuff going. So we don't have to wait till September when everything gets back to normal. So make it happen this summer. Let me pray real quick. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity, Lord God, to, to just encourage our students in what they're doing. I pray, dear God, that you would impress upon our hearts as adults 
that we would back them up with not only our, our work ethic, but with our finances to show them that what they're doing has kingdom impact and we want to be a part of what God is doing in this church and through their ministry. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now last week... I did part one of this of this sermon, and I said what I really wanted to do was we're kind of in the home stretch, if you will, of this series consumed. Actually, this morning it ends. okay? and next week we start a series called Portraits. If you know me, you know how much I love to talk about obscure Bible characters. This is what it's going to be. Some obscure, maybe some not so obscure. Um, But next week we're going to be talking about the thief on the cross. I'm not sure the last time you heard a sermon about the thief on the cross, you heard about him, but probably not a sermon about him. So next week we're going to be talking about the thief on the cross. So we're in the we're kind of in the home stretch or coming to the end of this series called Consumed. And I said last week that I wanted to get really, really practical. You know, we talk about like being in the presence of God. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? So for the last two weeks, I want to talk very practically about what does it mean? How can we be in the presence of God? You know, it's been so much fun the last uh, really three series. We talked about we talked about Joseph, right, in bondage in Egypt and making his way to the promised land. And each series has been building on that. And uh, I thought to myself, it'd be really, really exciting to write a book. Remember that sermon we did, But If Not, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going before King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And basically, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, do whatever you want to us, King. Our God will save us. But even if he does not, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. We're going to follow him if that means being thrown into the fiery furnace. And we talked about this idea of but if not. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm, going to, I'm thinking about writing a book that takes the last three series together and kind of walks through from bondage to the promised land. So I'm going to be working on that. And I was, had the privilege of having a publisher come to me recently and want, to sign, want me to sign a five-year deal to write for that publishing company. So that's one of the books I think I'm going to write because they were kind of excited about that idea. And you've really motivated me during this series because of the, the input that you've given me and the way I've seen the church grow and the way I've seen the student ministry grow and people just owning their faith, truly owning their faith. So last week... We talked about laying out eight helpful ways that will lead us into a uh, lead us into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ that will lead us into the presence of God. Eight helpful tips, if you will, that can lead us into the presence of God. Last week, I talked about four of those. I said, uh, make your spiritual life a priority. Right. We want to make our spiritual lives a priority. We talked about recognizing our sin. When we recognize that we have a sinful nature, it draws us into the presence of God because we realize that we need God. So recognize your sin. And then we talked about focusing on others. When you focus on others, you're drawn into the presence of God. Ask any high school or junior high student in the church who went on those trips if they didn't feel closer to the Lord after serving and investing in the lives of other people. Serving others draws us into the presence of God. Then last we talked about challenging our fears. We need to challenge our fears. When you challenge your fear, you go into the presence of God because you're asking God to give you strength to overcome that fear. So we talk about those four. This morning, we're going to talk about the last four, the last four. So number five, pray continually, pray continually. Romans 12, 12 says this. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient, patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Pastor Kevin, a few weeks ago, talked about this concept. He talked about the way that we pray. How should we pray? When you pray, basically what Pastor Kevin was talking about is just being yourself. See, when you pray to God, this is so difficult. You think it'd be easy, but it's really not. When you pray to God, just be yourself. Talk to him. You know why you should be yourself? Because he likes you. I remember when I was really a young believer, I, w- I, went to, I went to prayer meetings. I had a really tough time in prayer meetings. You know, back in the old days, we'd have prayer meetings. People sit around and, and I'd be sitting in a circle and they'd be praying. And one guy would just pray for like a half hour. And I would just be like trying to not nod out, you know. And uh, but he would he would change his whole like the guy. I love this guy. He loved the Lord. But when he prayed, he was like, oh, God. And he would change his, and God was like, who, who's that, is that him talking? I, don't, <laughs> I thought it was the guy next to him. No, it, it, just be yourself because God likes you. And Kevin talked about praying out, maybe praying out loud, right? Praying out loud. And we don't like to do that because it's like, uh, people will think I'm, you know, a little, a little off there. But what I'm talking about is start a conversation maybe in the morning when you get up. And it's okay. You don't want to pray out loud. You don't have to. But just talk to God. Talk out loud to him. Start praying in the morning. Here's how your prayer life should go. You start praying in the morning. You say, God, hey, good morning. Morning, God. Morning, Jesus. I just, you know, hope you give me a really good day today. Uh, you know, give me the strength. To, I got a couple things that are going to go on. This person usually gets my gets my dander up. And so I pray that you'd help me not to, you know, help me not to get ticked off at him when he does what I, he normally does. Just talk to him. So you start praying in the morning and don't say amen to your prayer until you put your head on the pillow that night. Just talk to him all day long. Have, have, have that conversation. You know, when I was younger, if people walked around talking out loud to themselves, you, you kind of went, you see, these guys, you know what I mean? You're kind of like, whoa. Now you start, if I'm walking down the street just talking like this, no one notices. They think I have a Bluetooth on, right? They think I'm talking to someone else. They don't. They're like, oh, yeah, he's talking to someone on the phone. So you can talk to Jesus. And no one even know it. They won't even think you're crazy. They'll just be like, well, yeah, he's talking on the phone to someone. So spend that time, start praying in the morning and do not say amen to that prayer. Okay. Until you lay your head on the pillow that night, just keep the conversation going. Talk to him, make him a part of every decision in your life. You say every decision. Yeah. Every one. Talk to him in your mind. Talk to him out loud. Get get that opportunity. See, here's the thing. We all get stuck. We come from different church backgrounds. So we all get stuck in our traditions. How we should pray. This is how you pray. Some people are traditional. They have a prayer. They say all the same prayer all the time over and over. How we should pray. When we should pray. I pray before meals. I pray before I do this. I pray to do when I do that. And that's fine. That's that's okay. But I'm saying is make everything a part of prayer. Just pray. Start in the morning. End at night. Make it all a part of your prayers. Because this whole idea of I pray, here's how I pray and here's when I pray is not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about spending your time, spending each moment in the presence of God. Talk to him. I remember last 
That summer, we go, every summer we go to the Adirondack Mountains, and I love to fish. I love to fish. And I have on my bucket list to catch a over five-pound bass. I've only caught a bass that was like four and a half, five pounds, and I want to catch a monster bass. And so that's on my bucket list. Well, last summer, I'm going down the Sakandaga River, all right, and it goes into a place called the Kunjumuk. And I just love going down there. And I went down last summer, no exaggeration, I saw beaver. Have you ever seen a beaver in the wild? I thought someone had dropped a boulder from outer space into the water when, that, when I first noticed the beaver. They take their tail and they slap it on the water and the water goes six, seven feet high and all around. I was wondering if I was being attacked from space or something and I finally realized it was a beaver and I was in his territory and he didn't want me in his territory so he was slapping the water. You think they're beavers, you know, little tiny creatures? Uh-uh, they're big and they got big old tails. He was slapping the water and then I saw otters the same trip down there, I saw otters. It was like watching a movie on television, like one of those documentaries. It was awesome. I tell you that to lead up to the fact that I hooked a monster bass, okay? It was huge. It was huge. Pulling the boat around, it was, no, it was, it was big. You know, you can tell when you've got a fish on the line that's not just one you reel in. And I hooked them and I was saying, I was talking to God. I was like, God, let me, just let me, let me land this one. Just, and it, all of a sudden, you know that feeling? If you don't fish, you don't know it, but if you do, you do. And I was pulling on it and he had to pull over and all of a sudden you see your lure going past you. And I said to the Lord, really, Lord? You couldn't just let me land this one. I was going to let him go. Even if you like this guy, I was going to set him free. I was talking to the Lord. So talk to him. Talk to him. All right. Jesus said back to me, hey, get some better skills. Maybe catch him next time. No, but uh, <laughs> talk to God. You know what I mean? Have some conversation. He's OK if you're frustrated about losing the losing the 17 pound bash you had online. All right. Number number six. Okay, I caught a shark. That's not number six, my shark. I caught a shark last year, 175-pound shark. Okay, I literally got a 175-pound shark to the surface where they could gaff it and get it in the boat. And it was an endangered species, so they had to let it go before I even got in the boat. And Josh told me last week, you didn't actually catch it because you didn't get it in the boat. I'm saying, Josh, you saw the shark. Doesn't matter. You didn't get in the boat. You didn't get in the boat, so my whatever fish he caught was bigger than mine. All right, on to number six. I'm sorry, I'm, I digress. I will catch the bass this summer, though. I will, and I'll show you a picture. All right, number six. Put your life in perspective, okay? Put your life in perspective. All of you, remember, most of you remember the story of Jonah, right? God says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to the Ninevites. I want you to preach that they should repent, because if they don't repent, I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah had no intention, had no desire because to go to Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. They were the enemy of Israel. And so Jonah gets on, Jonah basically gets on a ship and goes in the opposite direction of what God had called him to do. On the ship, you remember the story, there's a big storm that comes up. God's saying, you're not going this direction, Jonah. A big storm comes up. They cast lots. They find that the lots fall to Jonah. It's his fault. Jonah says, throw me over. They throw him over. A big fish swallows him up swims back and spits him up in the shores of Nineveh. Jonah did not want to do what God was asking him to do. And he, honestly, because his perspective was, I hate these people. They've ruined my life. They've ruined Israel for many years. I have no desire at all, okay, 
to preach to them. Jonah lost perspective because he allowed his past and his feelings to dictate his actions. I want to read you this because people like look at Jonah like, like oh, what a hero. Okay, um, if you read the whole, read the, it's only four chapters. Read the book of Jonah and tell me what you think. But I'm going to read basically most of chapter four. This is what it says. But Jonah was greatly displeased. So God, so he preaches and the Ninevites repent. Okay, and Nineveh repents. Jonah doesn't want them to repent, but they repent. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became very angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself some shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He wasn't ready. He, he, he went and made a shelter, okay, and waited to see if God would change his mind and still, still get these people. Jonah was smart enough at this point not to answer the question, do you have any right to be angry? And in this situation, he doesn't answer the question. He's smart enough not to answer the question. But he didn't have an eternal perspective here. He didn't have an eternal perspective, so he became bitter in his heart. It's almost like you're a parent, you ask your kid a question, they don't say anything back, they don't back talk you, they just don't talk to you and they walk away, but they walk away with an attitude. Maybe they're rolling their eyes, saying, man, this is bogus, but they don't say that out loud. That's what Jonah was doing. This is bogus. And so he sits down hoping that God's going to change his mind. You see, here's the thing. Jonah wanted justice, but Jonah wanted justice from his perspective, from Jonah's perspective. And when he didn't get it, he distanced himself from God. This was Jonah's honestly, but if not moment, and he failed miserably. I want you to smite these people. I want you to wipe these people out. I want you to whack these people and you hear that sometimes, and with, with, you can understand the frustration, but he didn't end with, but if not, even if you don't do what I'm asking, Lord, I'm still going to have the right attitude. I'm still going to have the right perspective. I'm going to have an eternal perspective. I may not understand it, Lord. I may not understand, but I'm just going to submit to you. I'm gonna, that's not the attitude he had. He had a but if not moment like we all do in life. He had that but if not moment and he failed miserably. See, we need to process through, we need to process through our own perspectives. We have, that's a very difficult thing for people in this, that's a difficult thing for people in any culture. To process through your perspective. We need to be able to process through our own perspective and we need to work on the ability, honestly, this will really help you. It'll help, it helps me. Work on the ability to see things from the other person's perspective. But even more than that, we, we honestly, we need to learn to see things from an eternal perspective. We need to put those God glasses on, if, we, if you will, and see it through God's eyes, through God's lenses. We need to have an eternal perspective. And if we have the eternal perspective, because here, here's what an eternal perspective does. An eternal perspective draws you into the presence of God. You go through something and it's someone, someone has stolen your idea at work. Someone has done something to you. It is wrong. They are so wrong. 
But no one knows it. And it's that ability to have that eternal perspective to realize even if you can't change things, that you're not going to let that destroy you. You're not going to let that take over. You're not going to let that cause bitterness and hatred and, and anger and all these things. That's having an eternal perspective. And the only way you can do that, honestly, is to be drawn into the presence of God. So having an eternal perspective, making sure your perspective in life is right, will help you, will draw you into the presence of God. Whether it's seeing it from the other person's perspective, real quick, I'm going to tell you, when, when I have a disagreement with Deb, we never argue, we just disagree once in a while. No. Um, when, when we have a disagreement, okay, what I'll try to do, what she'll try to do, is to take a step back, go spend some time with God, and ask God, God, where am I wrong? Help me see it from the other person's perspective. When you do that, it changes the whole circumstance of your, of your argument. Because what happens with me, even if I'm 90% right, God points out the 10% where I'm wrong. I can always go back and say, you know what, you said that, but I should not have responded this way and I apologize, which then creates a whole new scenario in the discussion. So change that perspective. See, let me, let me give you a, a few examples of what I mean by having an eternal perspective. Um, most of you know the hymn, right? It is well with my soul, right? We all know, we, we've, we've sung that hymn, it is well with my soul. Horatio G. Spafford is the one who wrote that. Let me tell you a little bit about his life and why he wrote this, why he wrote this hymn that we all sing. When, when there's tragedy in our country, people who are not even believers, they go and they, they sing this song. Ratio was a was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. Okay, in Chicago, and he had a loving family. His wife' name was Anna. He had uh, he had uh, five children. Um, his son died of pneumonia in 1871. So he died as a small as a younger child. So just that alone, let's just take that for a moment. Picture the thought of losing one of your children. He loses a child in 1871. His business is nearly ruined during the Great Chicago Fire. Many of you know history. There's a fire wiped out most of the city. His business was nearly ruined in the Great Chicago Fire, but God in his mercy um, allowed the business to continue to flourish after the fire. On November 21st, 1873, he was going to go on a vacation, a holiday with his family, with his, his uh, wife and his four daughters. So they were going to go, um, uh, they were going on a ship uh, 1873, they got on the ship and they were sailing on the ship. But instead of Horatio Spafford going with his family, he had um, some urgent business that he had to attend to. So he sent his wife and his daughters ahead of him. They were sailing from the U.S. to Europe. OK. And as they sailed, uh, he was going to meet them in Europe. He said, I'll follow you. I'll meet you in Europe. They were four days out on this journey and a larger ship with a iron hull smashed into their ship um, and sank their ship. It was a Scottish ship called the Loch Urn. So their ship went down, it sank, and it took his four daughters with it. So now he's lost his four daughters. His wife somehow survived. During the wreckage, a guy in a rowboat was rowing around. He found her hanging on to you know, some wreckage. He pulled her into his boat. He transferred her to a larger vessel. Uh, she was then uh, taken to shore. Nine days later, she ended up in Cardiff, Wales, where she wired this to her husband. Saved alone, 
What shall I do? Saved alone. She's lost her son. She's lost her four daughters. He has lost now all of those children. Think about, the, think about that for yourself. Just try to put yourself in his position. Another ship survivor, Pastor Weiss, later recalled that Anne Spat, Anna Spatford said this, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. That's what she said to him. So Horatio Spafford then um, jumped on a ship. He said to his wife, you know, he wanted to get to his wife as quickly as possible to be there with her, with her in their grief. He got on the ship and as he was sailing, he was four days out and the captain of the ship called him to his cabin and let him know we are in the spot where you lost your four children. And it was during that trip that he wrote, it is well with my soul. It was, think about that. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, right? It is well. You, you know the song, you've sung it so long if you're a believer. It is well with my soul, it is well with my soul. Think about that song. Think about how it has comforted you through some of the most challenging times in your entire life. Robbie Zacharias, who I absolutely love, wrote a book called Cries of the Heart. You must read this book. If you want to understand suffering, okay, from an apologetic perspective, you must read this book. He wrote a story about, he, he told the story of Annie Johnston Flint. I want to read you what he said. She was one who lived most of her life in pain, orphaned early in life. Her body was embarrassed by incontinence, weakened by cancer, and twisted and deformed by rheumatoid arthritis. She was incapacitated for so long that according to one eyewitness, she needed seven or eight pillows around her body just to cushion the raw sores she suffered from being bedridden. Yet in her autobiography, is rightly, her autobiography is rightly called The Making of the Beautiful. She wrote an autobiography, The Making of the Beautiful. Almost like a minstrel from heaven, she penned words that touched the heart in its, despair, in its despairing moments. One of her best-known poems put to music reads this, and you've sung this before, okay? If you've been in church for a long time, you've sung this one. He giveth more grace when burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. By added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. When I have exhausted, our, when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. How on earth, my friends, can someone, can these hymn writers write such songs of praise to God in those situations. How do they do that? We even sing, you sing these songs, these old songs sometimes, you think, oh, that's really cool, it gives me encouragement. These are the people who wrote the songs, the people that have had the most difficult lives of all, agony of loss, agony of pain, and they're writing these songs of praise to God. How can they do that? They can do that 
Because they lived their lives, hear me, they lived their lives in the presence of God. They have an eternal perspective. This world is not their home. They know someday they will spend eternity with God. They're not shaking their fists at God, cursing God. They're writing songs that have encouraged generations, that have inspired generations. But how? How they live their lives in the presence of God. Let me tell you, honestly, guys, if, if, if seeking the presence of God brings me to that point where I can endure that and still have that kind of eternal, if I can have that kind of eternal perspective going through that, it is worth seeking it is, it is the greatest, this should be the greatest desire of our lives to seek the presence of God because then nothing in this world can overcome us. Nothing in this world can touch us because we're literally in the presence of God and regardless of our circumstances, we have peace, we have joy, we have contentment. Number seven. Guard your heart and your mind. If you're in high school or junior high, I want you to turn on your brain. If you turn it off, which I'm sure you didn't, but I want you to turn it back on. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What we're talking about here are things, things that will draw you away from the presence of God. Things that will draw you away from the presence of God. If we want to live... Think about this. If you want to live in the presence of God, then what we need to do is proactively dedicate places and things to God. You say, what are you talking about? We need to dedicate places and things to God to keep us from being drawn away from God. Example, we should dedicate our computers to God. We should literally have a dedication service in our homes and dedicate our computers to God because computers are awesome, but they can also, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, lead you out of the presence of God, lead you further and distance you from God. Because of the guilt that you feel of what you're watching or anything else. You need to dedicate your phone. You need to dedicate your computer. You need to dedicate your pad. You need to dedicate, dedicate all, whatever gizmos, gadgets you want to pull out, right? You need to dedicate them to God. You, if you're in business, okay, you need to dedicate the business trip, the place. You need to dedicate that trip to God. God, before I get on this plane, I dedicate this trip to you that I will spend my time in your presence. When you get in your hotel room, you dedicate the TV to God. You dedicate it to God. You dedicate it all to God. You dedicate where you're going to go to God. You dedicate the trip to God. Why? Because these are the things that lead you from the presence of God. If you're younger, or even if you're older, but if you're younger, stay away from, if you can, unless you're trying to lead this person to a relationship with Christ, stay away from people who are going to, who are going to seek out the things of this world, if you will. Let me read you a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fool suffers harm. First Corinthians 5, 11 warns us of this. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who call, who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. 
Proverbs 14, 7 says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Our hearts, we, we are our hearts, if you will. This is where it all comes from. So we need to take care that we guard our hearts against the corrupt influences that are everywhere around us. Remember I said last week that we have a sinful nature. Your heart, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it, right? That the heart, we have a fallen nature. What you don't want to do is you don't want to feed the fallen nature. When you gave your life to Christ, you get a new nature. You want to feed the new nature. You want to feed and feed the new nature. You don't want to feed the old nature and make it strong because you have the Holy Spirit living in you now. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You want to feed the new nature and you want to starve the old nature. We need to shrewdly discern the subtle, okay, and sometimes, to be honest with you, not so subtle voices that are constantly, right, constantly presenting seemingly appealing ideologies which are in fact opposed to God. You need to put on your thinking cap here and make sure that when people tell you in college, here's an idea, here's a concept, here's an ideology, that you're comparing it to the word of God so that you're not pulled away, you're not drawn into things that are going to cause you to leave the presence of God. We need to train ourselves, train ourselves through the Bible, through Scripture, to discern good from evil. And the problem is, we are not very good at this. And the reason we're not very good at this is that as Christians, we have stopped reading and studying the Word of God. 25 years ago, someone's doing something. I pull my Bible out, go to chapter and verse. Argument's over. Now? Well, I feel. Well, here's how I feel. I think God is telling me. I feel God is leading me. But that's not what the word of God says. Well, I feel. Well, I I love you with all my heart, but I don't really care what you feel. What I'm saying is the word of God says this. We need to know the word of God so we can discern good from evil. The reason we can't discern good from evil anymore is because we don't know the word of God. And we go... Well, I I know this person. I know people like this and they're really nice. And I know this and it's nice. And my uncle is nice. And it doesn't matter if your uncle's nice. It doesn't matter if your your sister's nice. It doesn't matter if your mom's nice or anybody else is nice. What does the word of God say? We need to discern. And the way you discern to know good from evil is the word of God. And we need to hold on to the word of God. Listen to Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're talking about being drawn away from the presence of God. How do we stop that? We know the word of God. I, I, basically, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 reminds us, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use train themselves to distinguish good from evil. Constant use. They train themselves, constantly training themselves to discern good from evil. So when that comes up, you're not being drawn away from God. You're being drawn to the presence of God. Last, finally, and I say it sadly because that means the series is over when I finish this last one. Fine margin, guys. I am I'm going to raise my hand high, right? Find margin, Finding margin allows each one of us 
to enter into the presence of God, to slow. We need to slow down our minds. We need to slow down our, 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 our lives so that we can think about Christ. We can think about the things of Christ, what Christ is calling us to do. Remember in the very beginning of the series, I told us that we, I said that we need to we need to spend time. We need to be still. We need to be still before God. We need to enter into his presence and be still. It's hard to focus on the presence of God. It is hard to focus on on what Christ wants us to do if we're running full steam ahead all the time. And we are right. I mean, I'm not I'm not criticizing. I'm not trying to pick on us, us. But we are running full steam ahead all the time. If we're running full steam ahead all the time, how do we slow down and spend time in the word and spend time in the presence of God? It's not going to happen. With that in mind, I want to close out this series with the story that I told to kick the series off. My family, we were at a, at a, a conference, at AWOP, at Work on Purpose conference, and Sky Jatani told this story. He said that Dan Rather was uh, doing an interview with Mother Teresa. And Dan Rather went to Mother Teresa and he said to Mother Teresa, so when you're talking to God, what do you say? And Mother Teresa just smiled and said, I don't say anything. I just listen. Dan Rather, being the crack reporter he is, jumped right and turned it right around. He said, okay, well, when God speaks to you when you're in prayer, what does God say? And with a confident smile on her face, she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And Dan Rather was kind of taken aback and really didn't know what to say for a moment. And while he was thinking, Mother Teresa said, and if I have to explain it to you, if you don't, if you don't understand that, he said, she said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Being still, being in the presence of God. When you, when you go in prayer, what do you say? I don't say anything. I just listen. Well, when God, what is he? Sometimes he doesn't say anything. He just listens. I just want to be in the presence of God. Now, my son Joshua, being with me, said afterwards at lunch, Dad, what did Mother Teresa mean? I don't understand. No one's taught. What does that mean? I don't get it. And I, I, used, I told him this analogy. It just came to me, and I felt so good about the Spirit just speaking through me in that moment because it's one of those very difficult concepts. And I said, I said, Josh, say I left home early in the morning and... Uh, on the way home, I was killed in a car accident. So coming down Tylersville Road, I get in an accident and I'm gone. I left early so you didn't get a chance to talk to me. You never had a chance to say goodbye. Now I'm gone. We'll never, we'll never see each other again. You'll never be able to talk to me again. You'll never be able to interact with me again. You'll never play basketball with me again or go fishing with me again. We're, you'll never really see me again. We'll, we'll never hug. You won't be able to tell me your stories. I said, and I won't be there to help you grow. And I paused and I said to him, what would you give to spend one more day in my presence, even if we couldn't speak. What would you give to spend just one more day in my presence, even if we couldn't talk?
what would you give to spend one more day just sitting in a canoe with me going down the Kunjamuk? Even if we couldn't share anything with each other, we're just, you're just in my presence. What would you give? That's what she means. That's what she means. That's the, we, we as the body of Christ, bow your heads with me if you would. Just bow your heads with me. We need to have a desire, a desire to spend time in the presence of God. Like if you lost someone so close to you and didn't have a chance to be in their presence and and just just to be there with them, what would you give? That's what it means. That's the desire we should have to be in the presence of God. We need to learn and apply what it means to dwell in his presence, to live with an eternal perspective. And my friends, if you don't find margin in your life, that's not going to happen. So what are you going to do to find margin in your life this morning? What are you going to do? Think it through. Make a decision. What are you going to do to find enough margin in your life that you would make spending time in the presence of God a priority. And then every single moment of your life, instead of running from one to another, get enough margin that you can think through, well, I've got to talk to Christ about this. And God, how are we doing in this area? And just asking and talking to him. Like I said in the very beginning, start praying when you first wake up and, when, and don't say amen to you. Lay your head on your pillow. That's how we need to live our lives, but we can't do that when we're so rushed that we don't have time to even think. I'm going to close. We're going to close this out with prayer and then with Jen singing a song. And I want you to just spend time. I want to close this series out just spending time in the presence of God. This song is going to go along. It's going to go for a while. So what I would like you to do is you leave as the spirit leads you to leave. If you need to leave right now. You can do that. That's okay. No, no pressure. It's not, it's not guilt, but the song's going to go on for a little while. Just, I just want you to spend time in the presence of God. And as you feel led by the spirit of God, you can get up and leave whenever you feel comfortable because she's going to play until everyone's gone. God, thank you for this series. Thank you for this time. We can spend together this morning. And I pray, dear God, that you would speak to each of our hearts as we spend this time with you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.